from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading comes from Psalm 34, verses 1 through 10, 22. Hear now the word of God for you and for me. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces will never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord, and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Olivia, in addition to the text that Olivia read for us, um, also from the lectionary is the book of Revelation, uh, the seventh chapter. This text often shows up on All Saints Sunday, and as I read it, you'll get a sense as to why. After this, I looked, and, th and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and salvation belongs to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. And then he said to me, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship God day and night within God's temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will actually be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open this ancient word afresh to us today. 
so that it would meet us in the moment, that it would speak to us in such a way that we would receive comfort, that we would receive grace, that we would receive encouragement for the ordeals that we face in this very hour and that which is yet to come. Would you, by your spirit, change us to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ, to be more like your saints? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've asked Jens to help me out a little bit. We're going off script. This is not in your order for worship. I know the Presbyterians in the room are getting very nervous right now. But I want you to listen to uh, Jens play, and then I want you to join me. And where's the choir? Up there, choir, I need your help up there in the balcony. Um, I think this is a song you know, okay? So we'll just sing the, the popular refrain. You ready? All right, Jens, go for it. everybody. Good work even through masks. Friends, what is it about that song? What is it about that song that makes it so portable? What is it about that song that sort of transcends whatever context, whatever frame of mind, whatever spirit we're in? What is it about that song that when we hear it, it lifts us, it moves us, it transports us, it puts us in a different place? That song is timeless. It's become more and more timeless with each passing day. I mean, you can hear that song, right, in a jazz club at 4 a.m. And you can hear that song at 4 in the afternoon, performed by a single saxophone player on a street corner right off of Peachtree. You can hear that song played in the most ornate of cathedrals and worship spaces to the most run down and rusty and rural of churches. You can hear it during Mardi Gras. And you can hear it at a funeral as a family is let out behind the body and the memory of, of their loved one. I mean, there's not a lot of songs that can do this, but that song, When the Saints Go Marching In, you can hear that song anywhere and it still makes sense. You can hear it anywhere, and it still makes total sense. It, it speaks to us in a way that, that many songs don't do. Well, when it comes to the origins of when the, the saints go marching in, there, there's, uh, there's not much we actually know about where it, it came from. Some music historians 
uh, believe it's an adaptation from a very, very toned down and melancholy 19th century Sunday school hymn. Others believe that it's a jazz riff off of a Latin dirge that was popular in French Catholic masses in the city of New Orleans, that these jazz musicians got their hands on it and, and brought it up a, le a level. Well, despite its mysterious origins, when the saints come marching in, um, its popularity here in the United States at least, and then perhaps as it becomes more, became more and more popular throughout the world, it really has sort of its, its origin and its popularity through Louis Armstrong. Because Louis Armstrong did a version of When the Saints Go Marching In in 1939. In 1939, he recorded it. It was, it was produced, and it took off. Eventually, it became a standard in the canon of jazz music. And, and now today, I mean, you cannot find one jazz musician. You cannot find one Zydeco musician. You cannot find one church musician who doesn't know that song. And case in point, church folk who don't know that song, we seem to learn it at the earliest of ages. To that refrain, we, we know it by heart. Oh, when the saints go marching in, Lord, I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in. I think the power of that song, even when we just sang it here, is that it touches a deep desire in our lives. And it's the desire of hope. It's the desire that, that God will make a way when there is no way. It, it touches on a, a desire that the God we serve has been faithful in the past and will be faithful into the future. When the saints go marching in is a message of hope for salvation. That when we take our last breath, that we will be wrapped up in the very arms of God. That God will bring us, as the old hymn says, safely home. The song, though, also has a message of hope for those who are still walking this earth, who are still facing our own challenges, our own ordeals, our own struggles. It has a message that this God will bring us through times of trial, will bring us through times of tribulation, will bring us through times of anxiety and uncertainty and fear, and that God will make things well. God will make all things well. Now, if you're like me, when you hear certain songs, you can get transported to another place and another time where you once heard that song before. It has a special import or special meaning or value in your life or it reminds you of a significant moment or experience. When, when I hear when the saints are marching, come marching in, I, there, there's a particular moment. It happened over a decade ago. I was serving as an associate pastor in a church outside of Philadelphia, and we were doing a funeral service for a man by the name of Brad Shaner. Brad was a, a, a terrific guy, a faithful Christian, a faithful member of the church. He was a school teacher. He was named at one of the districts outside of the city as the teacher of the year. He was a band director, and he was a darn good trumpet player. He played in the jazz band. He played with the, the church orchestra and, and in the brass ensemble. He was incredible, an incredible musician. He died way too young. He, he died in his mid-40s of, of cancer. 
And at his funeral service, there, there, were stand, there was standing room only, right? It was packed. People were lined up against the walls and into to the back. Chairs set up in, in the aisle, breaking every fire code that we had. And as the minister, the senior minister, stood in the pulpit to give the charge and the benediction to all who came to grieve his life and to hope in the life that is to come, after he gave that charge and benediction, a trumpet started to play over the sound system. A single trumpet. And it was playing the melody line of when the saints go marching in. The minister then said, this is Brad playing. It's a recording of him that he did a few years ago. And we just listened as it pierced the air and pierced our hearts, as this message of hope entered into that space and brought us comfort met us in our grief, and met us in our longing for another world. A world where tears would be wiped away from every eye, where death would be no more, where no one would hunger and no one would thirst, for they would have everything they need by the grace and the mercy of God. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a bunch of folks out there in the pews started to reach under their seats, and they pulled out their horns, and, and the percussionists went around a, a, a pillar and, the, and there were drums waiting there and they all stood up, vocalists stood up. It was Brad's jazz band and they came to the front and they surrounded the widow and his, Brad's young children right there in the front and we all started to sing when the saints go marching in and we lifted them spiritually in that moment and physically in that moment and we sort of carried them out with our voices into the parking lot and kept on singing and singing and singing, Lord, I, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. On this All Saints Day, the first word that I want you to hear is this word of hope. It's this word of comfort for all of us who grieve those who have now gone on to be in their eternal rest that they have marched in by the grace and mercy and generosity of God, what we read about in, in Revelation 7 is their reality, is a promise realized that they have now marched in. Now, one of the things that's amazing about faith and life together, especially as we come together and worship, and what I've missed so much with being able to worship in person with one another what we still are able to get as we worship remotely with one another as well is the ways in which we present in our worship a foretaste of what God's kingdom is all about, right? We're just catching a glimpse. When Maria was singing the Alleluia from Mozart, what we were participating was, was in a foretaste of what is to come because the world right now doesn't sing a continuous hallelujah, and it certainly doesn't sing it as well as she does. The world's not singing a continuous hallelujah, but that's the world that is to come. That is the age that is to come. And what we do in worship is we begin to sort of set the stage. We start to live out our future today as we worship. Now, one of the things that's interesting about, about the Bible is that there, there are not that many texts that actually show us a glimpse or a picture of what it looks like when the saints actually do march in, right? 
what it looks like when the heavenly choirs and the heavenly orchestra uh, sings their praises eternally to God, when all the saints are, are back together as one family in the household of God. We, we don't have a lot of pictures, but in Revelation 7, we do. It's one of a, a handful of texts that, that paints a picture of what life after death looks like for us. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture where, where all the saints come together. And on All Saints Day, it's appropriate to read a text like this because it gives us that imagination, it gives us that, that vision, it gives us that window of what our loved ones and all who have gone before us are actually experiencing by God's grace in this profound mystery of reconciliation, that God has reconciled them to God's very self. And so we get a glimpse of what the marched-in folk are doing. We get a glimpse of what the marched-in folk are, are participating in. And as we do, we can't help, right, as we remember these saints, we can't help but to remember their faithfulness to us, their faithfulness to God. We can't help but to remember on All Saints Day their legacy, the, the, the imprint they have placed upon our hearts and our lives. We can't help but to remember that they are now part of this great cloud of witnesses that we read about and we celebrate in Revelation 7. One of the things that Revelation 7 does besides uh, paint a picture, a, a symbolic picture of what life after death would look like, it also brings comfort and hope to those who are living in their own ordeals now. Now just remember this, right? When John of Patmos is writing, uh, this is stating the obvious, he's not writing to dead people, right? He's writing to people who are alive. So in the first place, he wants to bring comfort to those who have lost loved ones, to those who have passed through the great ordeal. And I'm going to say more about that in just a second. But he's also writing to a church that is being persecuted. He's writing to a church that is trying to figure out its way as a marginal people. He's trying to figure out a way in which uh, these folks are going to hear a word of hope and to press on with all that they're facing right in front of them. And so this message, Revelation 7, is not just a picture of what happens to us when we die, but it's also a message of hope of how we should live in the midst of our ordeals. And it would be totally tone deaf for me to, to not say at this point that, that we're facing ordeals in our time. There's personal challenges. There's personal struggles that we're all dealing with right now. There's collective struggles of this pandemic. 7,500 Georgians have, have died with COVID. 233,000 Americans have died with COVID. 1.1 million people across the globe have died with, with, with COVID. We've got an economy that is shaky for so many. People right here with the sound of my voice who have lost their jobs. We've got people who have kids in school and they are desperate to figure out a way to move forward in, in these times. We have a, a national election uh, just two days away that has brought out in many ways the worst in us. There's tension, there's anxiety, there's, there's trepidation, there is fear, there's uncertainty that's pervasive in this time. And I think what the writer in Revelation is doing is saying, look, don't just take comfort in the reality of what happens when we die and to those who have gone on to be with the Lord, but, 
but take comfort that this God who has seen them safely through the trouble is seeing you safely through the trouble. That this God who has brought the cloud of witnesses together is a God who is bringing the church together on earth to bear witness to what God is doing in and for the world. You know, this word ordeal, I keep using the word ordeal because that's the word that shows up in the English. The Greek word has this connotation of pressure. It has this connotation like you're being trapped. And ultimately, those who have passed through the ordeal, it's not just the ordeals that we face in this life, but it's also the great ordeal of death. What the one philosopher, Albert Camus, said is the only philosopher's problem. That's the one thing we can't figure out is death. No one can escape it. It's a reality, and it's only by God's grace through Christ that we are able to, be, to pass through, rather, this great ordeal that is death. So here is, here's the message that I want to leave you with, that I want to encourage you with today. That as we think about the saints who have gone before us, and we're all thinking about saints today, we, we, we take comfort that God has, has brought them to that place, that eternal rest. But we also, we also take comfort knowing that this God is with us. And it's not like these saints just learned how to sing, how to be faithful once they died, right? These saints have been faithful along the way and we, we have their witness. We have their trust and we lean into that witness and trust that this God will give us exactly what we need to face the ordeals that we face. You know, this is an interesting conversation between John of Patmos and this elder. It's somewhat comical because uh, this elder who's presumably been there for a long time, like all eternity, right, says to John, hey, who are all these people over here, robed in white, praising God from every nation? You know, who are these? And, and, and John is like, dude, I just got here. Like, I, you know. And he says, yes, these are they who come from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and who worship and praise God. But I also wonder if we can see ourselves in the they. Who are these? Well, it's not just the saints that have gone, but who are these? It's the saints that are still living today. Who are these? It's you and it's me who are called to lean into the grace of God. It's you and it's me who are called to receive the good gifts of God. It's you and me who are called to be faithful to God, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. We are the saints today. We're imperfect. We fail. But we're called to live out God's future, what we see in Revelation 7 today. And friends, I believe that in the midst of our ordeals, that in the midst of the oceans of tears that we're crying in this time, in the surplus of hardship that we carry, in the reservoir of discontentment that we know, in the plethora of disappointment that we have, that the God who is faithful to the saints that have gone before us is the same God who is faithful to us now. I don't know what ordeal you're facing. I know there's collective ordeals that we share. And I know this, that God is faithful that God is faithful in the midst of your ordeal. And the God who has seen the saints through the great ordeal
will see us through and will give us everything we need so that we can keep marching on. Amen.